terrific to see you all this morning. Why don't we pray and ask for God's help. Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that as we engage with it, it will speak powerfully to our hearts and help us understand uh, where we stand with you uh, and how we might be right with you. Amen. Well, spiritually speaking, Sydney is one great big paradox, I, I think. It's, uh, on the one hand, it can feel like the, the whole movement of society in these parts is away from God, religion and spirituality with attack after attack in the media and public rhetoric trying to squash all religious opinion and discussion with uh, laws about uh, religious freedoms which are going to probably curb them uh, coming. Uh, you join in an online discussion about uh, a, a, a hot topic and you present a Christian opinion and you will be held down as a bigot with no brain who hates everyone. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, as Aaron pointed out a couple of weeks ago to me, there, there's never been such a, a hive of religious activity and fervour uh, in this country. Every time a census is done, it comes back that we're amongst the most religious society in the world, on the planet. Um, we, we host some of the world's biggest spiritual and religious events uh, worldwide. Uh, the Mind Body Spirit Festival is huge uh, and we're now exporting that to other cities and running it for them. Uh, the Hillsong Conference is still one of the hottest religious tickets in the planet uh, with offshoots now in London and New York. Uh, Sydney hosted World Catholic Youth Day in 2008. 250,000 people attended the final mass which is more than attend all of the NRL games put together on any given weekend, right? The, the, the big turnout to do this religious thing. Uh, we've just had churches reporting this has been the biggest Easter that they've had in living memory uh, in a service attendance and things like that. But it's not just the events and the moments. Almost every religion, sect, denomination is flourishing in Sydney. Uh, Islam is spreading fast, as is Hinduism. Uh, we have the Australasian headquarters of the Jehovah's Witnesses just up the hill at Denham Court. Uh, we've got the uh, largest Buddhist temple in the Southern Hemisphere just down the hill in Wollongong. Uh, Sydney is a very, very religious community, which actually makes it pretty easy to talk about faith and religion at the moment, even if you do get into arguments online. People have got questions and people want answers. Uh, and maybe you've got your own questions about spirituality, about God, about Jesus, about Christianity, about other religions, uh, about what's true, about whether it's actually important or not to, to hold to one over the other, how it all works. Are all the options valid or none of the options valid? Do I need any of them? Uh, maybe you've got friends who are asking all those same questions as well. They're great questions. And if you do have questions or your friends have questions, I want to say, don't die wondering. Uh, that's the advice someone gave me about girls when I was a teenager. Uh, if you never ask her out, it's already a no and it will always be a no. So don't die wondering. Uh, it's even more important when it comes to God, don't die wondering. Not getting the girl or the boy might break your heart for a week. Not getting things straight with God could be a disaster for all eternity. 
Now, we're returning to Matthew's Gospel today after a couple of years' break. We, we got up to the end of chapter 14 last time we looked at it. And Matthew is trying to help us come to terms with who Jesus is. Uh, and through the book, people keep asking tough questions to Jesus and about Jesus. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this that teaches and even the demons hear him and obey? Uh, who is it that claims to be able to forgive sins? But only God alone can do that. Is that what he's claiming to be? But today as we get back into Matthew's Gospel, Jesus, it's Jesus' turn to ask the tough questions. And he's got two of them in our passage this morning. Uh, one of them is directed to his enemies uh, and is designed to expose their well, really, their sheer and utter hypocrisy before God, who they say they love. And the second is directed by Jesus to his closest friends. And it's, a, it's, a, it's really a question of their intelligence. Uh, literally, it's, are you really that stupid? Is what Jesus asks. And we have a very polite translation here. Do you still lack understanding? Are you that thick? Is what Jesus said. It's the kind of question you ask when you're really frustrated or totally bemused, like when you see someone putting a whole can of baked beans still in the tin in the microwave and you're like, oh, it's going bad. <laughs> I need a microwave tomorrow. Uh, uh, yeah, are you that thick? But the reason that Jesus is so strong with both his enemies and with his friends is because the very basis of being right with God has just been stripped away in their hearing by the enemies. Then it's been corrected by Jesus and his disciples, his friends, haven't understood the difference. So the situation we just read is that there's this public debate about spiritual pollution, about what makes someone unclean before God and the debates between Jesus and the Pharisees who were the religious do-gooders, uh, kind of the religious right wing. They were mostly business people, they were kind of the, you, you know, the kind of people, the, the little baden pals, you know, the well-to-do, well-meaning, seeming religious people. Uh, they, and they're like religious people around the world today. They, they follow a strict code of ritual in order to be right with God. In fact, in just about every religious system, uh, you're... you're there are things you must do and things you mustn't do in order to be clean in God's seat, to get rid of any spiritual pollution that you might have somehow gathered up. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, after all, isn't that what religion's all about? About proving yourself somehow to God. For Muslims, it involves, among other things, uh, prayer five times a day facing towards Mecca where you don't pray but you just recite the Quran back to Allah to prove that you've learned the first book. You read the first book back to Allah every time you pray. Uh, the, you fast during Ramadan for a month. There's the ritual washing of your hands and face several times a day or you are unclean before God. Uh, it involves food laws, you know, the worst of which is not eating bacon. Uh, devout Hindus worship at dawn at the family shrine uh, involving lighting lamps and uh, reciting mantras, offering food to deities. Uh, they've got food laws. Uh, cows, they're strictly off limits for Hindus. 
And even in Christian circles, there are those who would say that there are religious rituals that, that are associated with Christianity that you have to do, you must do, to be right before God, pure and clean, things to stop spiritual pollution marring your standing with God. Uh, it might be going to confession, it might be having Holy Communion every week at church, and if we don't do it, there's something wrong. There's, uh, is, uh, there's you know, food rules as well about when you need to fast in some circles within Christendom, eating fish on Fridays, things like that, bowing and scraping. And yet it's exactly the same kind of thinking that Jesus challenges here and which landed him in such big trouble and in this huge public fight. In the midst of a large crowd, the Pharisees uh, had pushed through to the front of the crowd along with some of their clergy friends they'd recruited, the scribes from the temple in Jerusalem who were experts in God's holy law, the religious professionals. And together they came and confronted Jesus in verse 2. You see it there? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. I'm not quite sure how they knew what the disciples did or didn't do before mealtimes, but there you go. Uh, he has just fed the 5,000 out in the wilderness, so maybe that was where they spotted their mistake. But here is something that the Pharisees and the scribes insisted that every Jew must do. And it was a ceremonial washing. It wasn't a a, a health-based washing that had nothing to do with germs or any reason your might have ma mum might have made you wash your hands uh, before dinner. It was religious. Uh, it was part of proving your devotion to God and making sure you were spiritually clean and undefiled. And you can tell that they're taking the moral high ground with Jesus, aren't they? They're, they're asserting their religious heritage and prowess by pointing out an obvious failing they see in Jesus and in his followers. You can imagine the tone of voice, can't you, that they would use in this situation, kind of like when someone finds out, oh, you're from Campbelltown, are you? <laughs> Down there, I see. The, their question drips with condescension. It, it was a question in public meant to embarrass Jesus to score points, make him pull his head in and go away or at least get the crowds to stop listening to him. But what does Jesus do? Well, he turns it back on them with the first of the two tough questions. It's in verse 3. He answered them, well, why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? I mean, there's a slap in the face to the religious guys. They've accused him of breaking the tradition of the elders. Jesus accuses them of breaking God's holy law outright because of those traditions. Now, how do they do that and uh, still pretend to be pure before God? How do you make up rules that mean you can get out of God's law? Well, well they did it in the way that lawyers have always done it, by creating loopholes and looking for loopholes in God's law. Uh, loopholes to explain why it is that I don't have to comply with that one there. Right? And you may have felt that temptation yourself over the years. Here's how they did it, verse 4. For God said, honour your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. Simple, straightforward commands from God's law in the Old Testament. How do you weasel out of that? Well, verse 5, but you say... 
whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple, he does not have to honour his father. In this way you have nullified the word of your God because of your tradition. Now it's a pretty simple example and, and it looks impressive. Religiously it sounds impressive. I'm really sorry mum, uh, you need a hip replacement. Uh, but my nest egg is something that I've, I'm sorry, I've devoted it to God. Uh, and I've promised to let him have some of the interest and the earnings down the track. And so I can't touch that now. Right, I haven't given the money, but I, I, I'm not going to do anything with it to help you. Right? It's, it's pretty convenient, isn't it, when you can use your religion to justify getting rich and not caring for others. <laughs> But that's how they made a loophole for themselves and, and how good it sounded. They must really love God, mustn't they? Because they're going to be giving a lot of money away in the future, maybe. And Jesus isn't going to wait for them to defend themselves and wiggle out of it. He's going to go in for the kill. Uh, he, I think Jesus is a bit like a boxer a lot of times. It's kind of jab, 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 mooshka, you know, in the face. The haymaker comes, verse 7. Hypocrites. He's not going to hold back. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. And, and it's a full-on assault, isn't it? And I wonder if that's something that you knew about Jesus or that your friends who might ask you tough questions about Jesus uh, know about him. The common perception is, of Jesus is as someone soft. The, the paintings with the long flowing locks and the, you know, the, he hasn't been out in the sun, he's a bit too pale. He's, uh, he's gentle Jesus, meek and mild, almost a bit effeminate. And sometimes he was gentle, particularly with the weak and with the struggling, but most of the time Jesus spoke with power and authority. And here he is denouncing the religious guys in public as people who put on the appearance of one thing but deep down are really something else. They are hypocrites. That's what a hypocrite is, isn't it? Right? You say one thing and you do the other. And Jesus is right to say these are people who worship God in vain. It's useless. It's empty. It's, it's an empty show to prove to other people that they're all that when it comes to God. But you might ask, why is Jesus so worked up? Weren't they asking a genuine question that really deserved a thoughtful and well-reasoned response? Uh, weren't they merely pointing out something they could help Jesus and his disciples with? Right? Weren't they just well-meaning? Well, no. And again, here they're being two-faced, absolutely two-faced hypocritical liars. Because the question they'd come with about washing hands wasn't innocent at all. They'd come to trap Jesus. It was all part of a plot that actually started back in chapter 12 and verse 14, which, because we haven't looked at it for a couple of years, you perhaps well, maybe you want to flip back there. Chapter 12 and verse 14, just back a page or so, that the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Right? 
they're not just asking a religious question. They are looking to murder the guy. And for some time now, they've been trying to figure out how to do that, how they might find a chink in Jesus' armour that they can exploit. They're looking to get Jesus killed. And Jesus can see right through them. That's because Jesus can see right through, well, all of us. You can't fool him. They're not interested in the disciples' spiritual well-being. They've got murder in their hearts. And so having taken these guys on, Jesus calls in the crowd a little bit closer to him. Okay, they've done this publicly. He's going to wave them all in. And he's about to give them a pronouncement, declare to all a principle that they have to know and that we've got to accept. Listen to me, he says. Come in close. Understand this. Fix it in your minds. And what he's about to say, I hope you'll see, is an absolutely monumental new thought for them. And it will strike a devastating blow at all the religion they're used to. And maybe, maybe it will even challenge you. Listen and understand, says Jesus. It's not difficult to understand. It's actually self-evident. But it's going to come as the opposite of everything they've ever heard. And so it's going to be hard to accept. It's in verse 10. You see it? Read it there. Summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. It's a very simple statement, isn't it? But it's profound. It's not what goes into you that pollutes you, it's what comes out of you that pollutes you. You see, the Pharisees had come along and said, how dare you and those guys eat food without going through the proper ceremony, the proper ritual washing. You therefore eat with defiled hands and so you defile the food that you touch and then you eat the defiled food and you've defiled yourself spiritually. You fail the ritual, you fail God. Jesus says... You cannot be made unclean in God's sight by things from the outside. Pollution, defilement, uncleanness is not a a physical issue, it's a spiritual issue. It's not a ritual matter, it's a moral one. And in that one statement, Jesus sets himself in absolute diametric opposition to the religion of the Pharisees and and in fact to the entire Jewish religious system and he sets himself in absolutely diametric opposition to every other religious system before or since which says that ritual, ceremony and performance are necessary to make you right before God, to make you pure, undefiled, clean. And for the people there, that was just unbelievable. And even the disciples who'd been with Jesus for, well, somewhere between a few months and a couple of years, through everything he's gone through, even they don't get it, as we're going to see in a moment. So locked into that way of thinking of their family, their upbringing, their friends, the religious systems of the day, the religious Uh, mafia that are out there and so locked into the idea of performance-based religion 
they think they can't have heard Jesus right. So we're going to say that again. And let me say, it can be very difficult for us to break through from those, thinking those terms. Even today, no matter who you talk to, people think that being right with God, going to heaven, call it what you will, has all got to do with achievement. It's got to do with performance. It's about earning God's favour. I just ask the question, if you died tonight, why would you go to heaven? Well, because I, you already know that that's what they believe. Because it's about them doing something. Right? I go to church, I take communion, I do this, I grew up in a family. I, Sydney may be extremely religious despite the politics and media, but most of it is exactly the kind of religion that Jesus is denouncing. And the disciples can't handle it. They, they take him aside and they give him a bit of a talking to. They start off by attempting to help Jesus with his social status and his political positioning. Uh, right? They're trying to act as his media representatives in verse 12. The disciples came up and told him, do you know that the, the Pharisees took offence when they heard what you said? Jesus, turn it down a bit. You know? um, uh, they would say they're just being sensitive to the situation. Politically expedient that Jesus is being a bit naive when he says things like that. But really, they are just gutless wonders who don't want no trouble. But Jesus knows the time has come and when enough's enough. Right? J Jesus doesn't need lectures on when it's okay to speak out about stuff. Verse 13, he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. And here's the real problem with those who want to diffuse debates and smooth over differences and calm tensions all the time without addressing the real fundamental issues. They're content to... Let liars continue to lead other people to hell. That's not kind. It's not loving. Well, Peter takes that on board, but he still doesn't really quite get the issue. And I take it he's speaking for the rest of the disciples when he asks Jesus to explain what he means about this issue of spiritual pollution coming from inside and not from outside. The disciples just don't get it. But Peter is the one who's brave enough to ask on their behalf in verse 15. Peter said, well, well, then explain this parable to us. I take it it's not that they couldn't understand, it's that they couldn't accept it. And so Jesus lets them have it with the second tough question. Are you really that stupid? Are you that thick, Peter? The translators just can't cope and so they go with this polite, do you still lack understanding? But why does Jesus think they're thick by asking about it? I think there's at least three reasons. One, because they should have been with him long enough to know what he's been teaching is completely incompatible with ritual-based religion. This isn't their first rodeo. Right? Second, 
because the Old Testament, which the Jewish authorities said they stood by, actually says over and over again that being right with God is a matter of the heart and that no one is right with him to start with. Even the prophet Isaiah, he's a prophet speaking for God, walks into God's presence in that reading and, oh, woe to me. <laughs> I'm Like he just sees his sin. Like doesn't matter what... Re- but third and most importantly, because the principle is so obviously true, both in terms of outside things not affecting the inner reality, but also in terms of our real problem before God. And that's what Jesus is going to explain and drill into their thick heads. First, outside things cannot and will not make you unclean before God. It's not outside in, verse 17. Don't you realise that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and then guess where it goes? It's then eliminated. Friends, what Jesus says is just obviously true, isn't it? You cannot be defiled before God by what you eat or by not doing ritual washings or anything else like that. If you grew up with that kind of thinking, if you still have that kind of thinking, you've got to stop it. You cannot be defiled by what goes into your mouth because it just goes through the body's normal digestion and then elimination process. And so when you think about it, what is food? Food is just pre-digested sewage. That, that's all it is. That's what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? it? You could say it more impolitely than that, but food is just pre-digested sewage. We might not like to think of that way and There's some tasty bits of it, but that's what it is. (laughs) And so if your religion is based on what you eat or don't eat, imagine what Jesus thinks about your religion. But second, and here Jesus is really going to lead us to a whopping great realisation that we're just going to have to come to terms with, is that what's inside really is the problem, and it's a serious problem. Verse 18, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. This defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile a person. What he's saying is the cesspool is in here. You're not polluted by what you pump in, you're polluted by what you're pumping out. And what he's saying is that this isn't some minor issue or a thing that only some people have inside them. Jesus says, that's everyone. You look at that list and tell me, well, that there's anyone who doesn't fail it. (laughs) Tell me, you've never had an evil thought, that it's never crossed your mind ever how to make someone else hurt who's hurt you or how to get ahead without following the rules. Oh, I know it says we've got to do that, but. (laughs) And which of us hasn't ever slandered anyone else or had lustful thoughts or envy or hatred or bitterness? That 
that's me. That's you. And, and what it proves is that there is an awful reality about my heart. That it's dark, it's spiritually polluted, and it puts me on the outer when it comes to God. It, it rips us apart from him. And you might say, well, no, I've kept God's laws. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I, I, I keep the Ten Commandments. Really? Really? You've always worshipped God alone and nothing else. Right? Because that's commandment number one. You've always loved God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength in every single moment. Not once have you ever put anything ahead of God in your life. Really? And even on the matters that Jesus names here, you've never stolen anything? <laughs> Those marbles from Woolworths at Miranda Fair as a kid down the Ugboot, they don't count, do they? <laughs> you've never lied? <laughs> We're very good at deceiving ourselves, aren't we? It's all from this dark heart that's inside of us and that's what Jesus is identifying here. He's putting the finger on the spiritual pulse of each and every one of us. Not because he hates us, but because he's a good doctor. And the real sadness is that there's nothing we can do to fix it ourselves. We, we cannot change our hearts, can we? Oh sure, we could have surgery and have the, the thing that pumps bloody ripped out and, and put someone else's in, although that's going to cost their life in order to save mine. But that's not the heart that Jesus is referring to. The heart is the inner self, the mind, the attitude, the motives, the desires. That's the heart that needs transplanting. And we just cannot do that ourselves. We need someone else to come and give us a heart transplant. Where can I get this new heart? Well, Jesus' claim, which he's already made back in chapter 9, is that he is the one who can forgive us our sins which is the issue that really matters, that we be forgiven. Jesus claims that power for himself, the right and the ability to forgive you and make you clean in God's sight. That is, Jesus is not just some spiritual guru. He's not some religious, spiritual, moral guide teaching you how to earn favour with God. He is God and he has come to wipe the slate clean, to burn out the sewage in here and to give you a new start with a new heart. But mind you, just like a normal physical heart transplant means someone else needs to die, so it is with this one. It does cost another life for God to do that, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, which is what he came to do, give his life for ours to pay for our sins on the cross but the question that jesus confronts us with today which we'll end with is can you see that you need him to do that can you see that the inside is unclean and that without this radical surgery from him all we can expect is condemnation from god can you see that you need him or are you still so dull that to think you can impress god with token outward forms like the vast majority of Sydney think it cannot work it will not work 
don't be so stupid as these people here who Jesus got stuck into as to think that it ever could. You need him to come into your life and change you. And so why don't we ask God to do that right now? Father, we realise that Jesus is right and that spiritual darkness is within. And so, Father, we want to confess that we're sinners and that we need you to change us, to forgive us, to wipe the slate clean. We thank you that in your mercy you've loved the world and given your only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life as he takes away our sins father we thank you for that incredible mercy and we pray that that heart transplant will be effective in us that we won't, our bodies won't reject it and we pray for our friends who we share in the lord jesus with that they won't reject it either amen